We pray now that you'll bless and be with this time. Use your word to speak to our hearts, that we might be found faithful as your people. We thank you for your grace, so sufficient, so freely given. We ask your blessings upon each that are here. May their hearts be open to hear your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We are in the season of Advent. The Sundays leading up to Christmas each week, we will be lighting one of the Advent candles leading up to candlelight service or to uh, Christmas Eve uh, service, the Christmas Eve service in which we light the candle of the Christ candle. So each of the Sundays, we'll be looking at some of the aspects of, of the Advent, of hope, of peace, of joy, of love. Each of these aspects will be a part of our services as we look at Simply Christmas. Today, we look at Simply Christmas, the facet of hope. Hope is that uh, the first Sunday of Advent in our calendar, in our church, and as we join together, we think of hope. Perhaps you think of that word, that you think of uh, hope, of something that might be under a Christmas tree, a gift that you might have, something you're looking forward to. You hope it'll be there. Hope about relationships, that this Christmas, as you join together as a family, you hope it'll go well and things will be good with your family. Perhaps you hope that you can just get through all the rush that's going on. Or perhaps you hope that you can get through this season, this being the first time that you'll be going through without someone that you've lost this year. Hope. It's a big word. Perhaps you may even hope for this to be a part of your Christmas. This is the Hope Diamond. Uh, the Hope Diamond is about 45 carats. Uh, don't think it's for sale, but if it were, probably about $250 million uh, loose cash that you might have lying around that you can purchase the Hope Diamond. But the thing about the Hope Diamond that y'all want you to notice are the things, the, the facets, the little small little face parts of the diamond, the facets that reveal the blue hue of this very expensive, costly diamond. But I want to talk about another commodity, a commodity of hope that's even more expensive, more valuable, and that is the facet of hope that we find in Scripture. We're going to look at three passages in the Old Testament and then one in the New Testament and look at different facets of hope, the hope that is revealed in Scripture. In the Old Testament, there was those days of longing for, hoping for the coming of the Messiah. And there is much in the Old Testament of a long-for fulfillment that we would find in the Messiah. So as we go through the Advent season, it is a reminder to us of that season of waiting, of expectation, of hoping. And it takes us back to remembering what it may have been like for those in those dark days of hoping, waiting for the Messiah. But it also reminds us of our position of waiting for His return. And this is a season of not only looking back to what the coming of Christ, but also 
hoping for, longing for his return. It's a season of hope. So we're going to look at three passages from the Old Testament and then conclude with one in the New that helps us see some of those facets of hope. And the first one is found in Psalm 130. Psalm 130, we have a poem or a a, a psalm that expresses part of that hope. And the psalmist takes us to four different locations for us to see another part, another aspect, another facet of hope found in this passage. We see in this passage the, the facet of steadfastness in a season of waiting. The facet of steadfastness in a season of waiting. In verse 1 and 2, he speaks of that in the depths of despair, he cries for mercy. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The first setting that the psalmist takes us to is that of the sea, of going down into the depths of the sea. The sea was a metaphor in, the, in their time for something that was overwhelming. When you were, the sea was very foreboding to them. They, they would see the, the water and the, the divide of the waters as being something that was uh, very mysterious. They didn't know what was in the depths of the sea. And so when they felt the overwhelmingness of their life, they would express that of being in the depths of the water coming over us. And we feel that often ourselves. And in the depths of despair, he cried for mercy, for God's mercy. The second scene that he takes us to is to a courtroom. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness Therefore, you are feared. In the grip of sin, we ask for forgiveness. And when we go through life and we face those times in which we we know we're in need of God's forgiveness and we stand before Him and we cry out for forgiveness, that was the call, the hope for of the prophets of old. In the grip of sin, we cry out for forgiveness. The third scene that he comes to is a city wall with the watchman standing on the city wall. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. The poetic aspects of this psalm, when the poets would repeat a phrase. It was there for emphasis. This morning, 3.30, our power went out at our house. Ordinarily, I would not notice that. I would ordinarily be sound asleep at 3.30 in the morning, but in my advanced age, I've had to sleep with a CPAP machine that gives you air. You can breathe as you sleep. So when it went out, the power went out, I woke up because I couldn't breathe. At 3.30, it's pretty dark. And when you're fumbling through your house trying to find that, that flashlight to try to do everything you try to do to uh, had a little battery pack, trying to get that plug back up, and just gave up and got back in the bed. 
but you lay there waiting for the morning. The watchman stood on the city wall, and as it got early in the morning, the darkness of the morning, they're looking. Is there someone approaching? Some enemy approaching the wall that they cannot see. They're waiting for the morning. Waiting for the morning. Will it ever get here? The prophets of old, waiting, hoping for the coming Messiah, the one who would save, the one who would take us out of our darkness. And as the watchmen wait for the morning, we long for we hope for. The fourth scene that he takes us to is to a slave block of trading, selling slaves. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with you the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from their sins. Longing for that steadfastness in a season of waiting and Notice what he says in this passage. Unfailing love. That is God's steady, constant love that is not dependent on anything else. He didn't have to create mankind in order to love. He is love. And that shows us the love of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that they had love. And that is his steady, constant flow of love, his unfailing love that those of the prophets of old were dependent upon and knew about his unfailing love, says in him is full redemption. It's not partial redemption. It's not something that we have for a moment and then is lost. It's full redemption and his purchase of us. And it says he himself will redeem Israel from their sins. He himself will do this. It's not you. God himself will do this, a prophecy of the coming of the one who would bring that salvation. So Psalm 130 shows us the facet of steadfastness in a season of waiting. It brings us to another favorite passage in the Old Testament about hope. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, a very favorite verse for many. And it shares with us the facet of supremacy in times of confusion. The facet of supremacy in times of confusion. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm, plans to give you hope and a future. Again, that's a beautiful passage of Scripture, one that we love and perhaps have framed and put in our home. But what's the context of this verse? Notice there are four words in that, that verse, four words. And you, you remember the test that you'd take in school where they would have words listed and you have to pick out the one that doesn't belong? Or perhaps it's a puzzle that you do and you pick out the one that doesn't belong. So we look at these four words, prosper, harm, hope, future. Which one do we want to take out of there because it doesn't belong? I think we all vote for harm, right? We like prosper. We like hope. We like future. We don't like harm. So we have this verse of Scripture as a promise from God to prosper, no harm, hope, and future. Yes, count us in. We like that verse. Well, what's the context of the verse? Jeremiah 
was a prophet in the nation of Israel. And he spoke to the king and to the people about a coming destruction that was coming at the hands of an enemy. That Jerusalem, the city of uh, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel would, would fall, the nation of Judah would fall, and the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. And there, there would be those who'd be carried away in captivity. Jeremiah preached this message, and no one liked to hear his message. They liked prosper. They liked hope. They liked future. They didn't like harm. And so he prophesied this coming, and it happened. The city was destroyed, temple destroyed. The best and the brightest were carried away in captivity to Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, early in those days, they said, God desires for us to prosper, to have hope, future, no harm, so we're going home soon because that's certainly what God has in store for us. So Jeremiah wrote a letter to them to say, yes, he does. He does plan that for you, but you're in a time. You're in a time of confusion. And Jeremiah tells us the, the facet of supremacy, the supremacy of God in a time of confusion. We don't like that word supremacy. It's a word that's fallen out of favor because we immediately think of one race of people proclaiming supremacy over others or one team claiming supremacy over another. And we don't like it when someone seems to express that they're better than someone else. But when it speaks of God, it talks of him being the supreme, that there is no other. And in a time of confusion, when you look around and you're wondering what is going on, to know that facet of the supremacy of God is where we have hope. And that's what the nation of Israel, the, the ones who were carried in captivity, needed to know this message. So Jeremiah wrote to them, and he gave to them, while you're living in Babylon, how do you live in Babylon? How do you live in Babylon with hope? First thing he said in verse 5 of Jeremiah 29, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons, daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. If you're going to plant a garden and eat the produce, it's going to take a while. If you're going to get married, then have children and then give them in marriage, it's going to take a while. So he said the first thing to them is, put your roots down. Settle where you are in Babylon. Second thing he said to them in this letter is, keep your standards up. Verse 8, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. There are those who are saying, we're going home soon. God doesn't desire for us to have harm. He wants us to have to prosper. We're going home soon. Jeremiah said, no, you're not. Put your roots down. Keep your standards up. Don't listen to the false prophets. And then he said to them, after verse 11, he said in verse 12, live your faith out. Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So to the people of Israel, carried away in captivity, who, were, who had lost hope, he said to them, you have hope, but you find it in the supremacy of God in the time of confusion, and says that to us today, because we find ourselves in Babylon. 
The New Testament speaks of Babylon in a, as a metaphor for the godless world system that's opposed to God and the people of the world who are hostile to the people of God. And many times we find ourselves recognizing that we live in Babylon. We know that there are those who are hostile to our faith, to our, how we stand, what we stand for in our faith. So we today, we put our roots down where we live. We don't long to be gone from here, but we live here in the present. We pray for the peace of a city. We pray for our president, for his safety, for his wisdom. We pray for our president-elect, for his safety, for his wisdom. We put our roots down. But we don't live by the standards of this world. We keep our standards up. And then we live our faith out in the world where we live. In the time of confusion in which we live, we have the supremacy of God to depend upon. So the supremacy, the facet of supremacy in times of confusion. But Jeremiah also wrote the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations chapter 3 is a very favorite passage of mine from chapter 3 of Lamentations. We could spend the whole time in this one passage. But here we find the facet of security in periods of despair. The facet of security in periods of despair. In Lamentations chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 21 through 23, but then I'll come back and look at a few others. It says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, or because of His mercies, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah, still in the city of, of, of Jerusalem, after it had been destroyed, walking through the rubble of the city, the best and brightest carried away in captivity, the poorest and the least left the city in destruction. Jeremiah, walking through the city, said, the splendor is gone. All that I hope for from the Lord. I remember my affliction, the wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. And that's what he shares. Because of the Lord's great mercies, we're not consumed. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. In the seasons in which we live, the periods of despair in which we may find ourselves, and we look for that which is secure that we can hold on to, we can look within. We can look within and we can be depressed. We can look without around us. We can be distressed. We can look to Jesus and be at rest. And this is that security in a period of despair. There's a difference between subjective and objective hope. 
subjective hope is that feeling that you express, that you bring up, that you conjure up within yourself. There's a hope, a longing for something to happen, something to take place. And there is that hope, and it's based upon the circumstances around you. These weeks, as we look in Advent, we look at the words of peace and joy and love. Each of these are words that can express a subjective feeling, something that you have based upon your circumstances, upon what's going on around you, what you have and what you feel, and you might feel peace, you might feel love, you might express joy based on what's happening to you. That's subjective. It's dependent upon your circumstances. Objective hope is in something. Better yet, someone. Simply Christmas. Simply Christmas. The birth of a baby. We enjoy the story of Christmas. We enjoy the trappings and everything else about Christmas and the beautiful picture of a manger. But it's not just the story of a sweet little baby. It is the story of one who came to deliver. One who came to live among us, to walk among us, to share with us that God is with us and that he took upon himself our sin and died on the cross and rose again from the grave that we might have hope. And our hope is an objective hope in someone, in Christ. So we can look back in the Old Testament and long for the steadfastness in our times of waiting long for supremacy in our times of confusion, long for security in our time of despair. But we come to the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, where he shares with us the, the, the facet of salvation in an age of hopelessness. The facet of salvation in an age of hopelessness. In the Babylon where we live. There's hope. He shares with us that the source of that hope, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the source of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember back to the passage in Lamentations where he said, your mercies are new every morning. And this mercy that's spoken of, this great mercy of God. This is what I share with folks, many people, when they're in a very desperate moment in their, their life, in the hospital or something going on. That's what this pas these passages mean so much to me. To be able to say to them, you know, that you go through your day calling on the mercy of God asking for his mercy. In the depths of despair, you cry for mercy. And it's like you have in the old days, back us, us old folks, remember checkbooks. They're gone now. No, hardly anybody has a checkbook anymore. I don't. My wife does. But you write checks. And it's the old joke of, you know, you get to the end of the day and you've run out of money, but you still got checks. How does that happen? You still got checks. You can still write them, right? 
No, you've run out of money. When you're going through your life and you're going through those times of waiting, of confusion, of despair, and you're writing checks on the mercy of God, you're all day long drawing on that mercy, drawing on what God can provide. And you get to the end of the day and you say, I've depleted the account. And you go to bed. And you wake up the next morning and you see his mercy is new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. That he's there for us and it is a living hope. It is the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a living Savior. He's not a dead Jesus, a dead Savior. He's a living Christ. And in that is the objective hope that we have. So when we write, light the hope candle, when we go through this season and we think of the facets of hope, we think of the fact that He is our living Christ. So the source of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The security of our hope is the preserving power of God. Verse 4, to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, have to suffer grief of all kind of trials. There's that word harm. We thought we removed that off of our list. Prosper, hope, faith. We go through this world of Babylon. There are trials that we have. They've come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is, re is revealed. So the source of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus, the security of our hope. It's the preserving power of God in the strength of our hope is faith. Not faith that we conjure up of, I just believe it's going to true, be true. It is the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the facet of salvation in an age of hopelessness. Through Christ, our waiting finds fulfillment in the steadfast Christ. Our confusion finds its clarity in the Supreme Lord. Our despair finds its mercy in the secure Jesus. And our hopelessness finds its hope in the sufficient Savior. Simply Christmas, facets of hope. Peter goes on in the book of First Peter to say that be ready always to share with anyone who asks of you the reason for the hope that is within you. It is Jesus. 
simply Christmas, simply Christ. This season, as you go through these weeks ahead and you see the lights of Christmas, the lights on your tree, the lights in the city, I pray that this will be, that these lights will come to you at the right time just to remind you of the facets, just like a diamond glistening in the light, the facets of hope in your despair, in your confusion, in your waiting, in your longing. Know that the greatest longing of your heart has already been met through Jesus Christ. And may that give you the object of your hope for Christmas. Let the lights speak to your heart, the facets of hope. Let's stand together. Father, our hope is in you. And so we're so grateful. There's so much in our world around us that seems to take away any reason for hope. And if all of our hope was just built upon what this world provides, we would be of all people most pitiful. Because we've surrendered our life to the God we believe in, the one that we believe has come in the flesh to take away our sins, resurrected from the grave, victorious. Our hope is in you, Lord, and in you we trust. And so help us through this season to know that it is a real, living hope and not just a fanciful feeling of looking at a Christmas story but a true story of hope that gives to our life meaning and purpose and direction and guidance and knowing as we hope for the coming again of Jesus Christ that we have a hope that is secure, that is founded in reality. And may we live by that.